thing we're called to do, purpose. Brother Dustin has been uh, sharing some things and on Thursday night about the purposes of the uh, order of God. And one of those purposes is that God calls. He anoints and who's he, who he calls, he equips to do his work. And we... Uh, we're here to encourage this morning to, we're here to, uh, to bring faith to a, to a higher level, and our trust in the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I was thinking about just about one year ago, and the Lord just moved on me to, to speak a sermon that last night of camp. And it was, it could have been scary, scary. Um, I think the title of the sermon was What If, What If, and, and, and you all remember that. And so the variant was there that, you know, I'm not saying that this exactly would happen. But it appears to me that, that times are, are closing in. That things are happening in a hurry. More things have really come to pass in the last few years than in a long time. And uh, things that are, you know, kind of shake us up a little bit. And that's why all the more we put our faith and trust in the Lord. All systems are going to fail. In a matter of time, every man-made system will fail. It's going to. There has not risen a country in this world that has not failed. Not one. Not one government that has sustained. They have all fallen. And the current ones will come to an end. But we have a Lord who is Lord of Lords. Can you say amen? He is king over kings. His kingdom will never end. And the increase of his kingdom will never end. He is a glorious Savior. And so if I can encourage you this morning to put your faith and trust in him, then, you know, what goes on around about us, is it a concern? Yeah, it's a, it's a big concern to us. But if I trust in the Lord this morning, those who trust in the Lord should be as Mount Zion, a city, strong. The devil can't penetrate into the city of God. And so we're trusting him this morning. My faith, my faith may be challenged. My heart may come to disappointments in some of the things that we wish could be and are not. Things that are beginning to fail. But all the more we put our trust in the Lord. We put our trust in the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother Curtis talked to me uh, a while back. And uh, he said, I, something happened in my life when I got sick. And he was diagnosed many years ago uh, with some, he had some tumor in his stomach or pancreas, liver. And they decided at that time that 
they shouldn't operate and for whatever reasons. And then many years later, he really came down with some big pain, went to the hospital, and they diagnosed him as, as that thing spreading, spreading all through, his, all through his body. And he said, something happened to me. He said, I really realized the seriousness of serving Jesus in that condition. And I wonder if we think that we have just pleasurable years all laid out in front of us, how serious we are about serving the Lord today. Because we've got a lot of time. We've got, you know, there's just, life goes on. But really for some, there's an awakening in their heart, and I believe God is awakening us to the times, to the seasons. I want to talk a little bit more about our rabbi this morning, Rabbi Jesus. I'm having a good time with this, and it's not something that we've really, <laughs> in the years gone by, specialized on. But I just, I just come to it, and and that term rabbi, we haven't called the Lord rabbi very much, but but I'm using that, and I'm using that in prayer. I hope you are too. I, there's this thing about the rabbi and his disciples that's just is powerful. It's precious. It's it's a tight bond between the Lord and His disciples. And well, I tell you what, that's all I want to be. How many just want to be a disciple of the Lord? We've got four already. I'm going to keep preaching this because we've already got four plus me. That's five. And uh, so we're going to keep preaching that. I know. Listen, I've been sitting in the crowd when the, when the pastor preacher asks for hands and amens and all that stuff. So I know sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But uh, if you would go with me, I, I want to go over to something this morning that the Lord caught my attention about the rabbi. And so it, I, I just want to look in the book of Numbers in the 15th chapter. And I want to read uh, just a few verses here from verse 38. Book of Numbers, 15th chapter and 38th verse. And speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make fringes in the borders of their garments through their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribband of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look on it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them. And that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you use to go a whoring. That you remember and do all my commandments, and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord, your God. Amen. I know that you've all read that at some point. If you read through the Bible, certainly you've read it. Well, I want to go over into the New Testament, and you'll know right away just exactly uh, Matthew, the ninth chapter, and the uh, 20th verse. And behold, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came near behind him and touched the fringe of his robe. For she said within herself, 
If only I shall touch his robe, I will be cured. But turning and seeing her, Jesus said, Be comforted, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that hour. I want to go to uh, an amazing scripture. I've read through it several times and just, it caught me a little bit here. Mark 6 chapter in the uh, 53rd verse. And crossing over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and drew to shore. If all of you remember Gennesaret, remember that Jesus cast out the devil called Legion out of a man who ran through the tombs. And actually one of the uh, scriptures said there were two men. But the man, Legion, what is your name? He said, Legion, because he was full of devils. And the demons began to cry out, can we go into the swine? And Jesus allowed them to go in the swine. They ran off the cliff precipice there into the sea and were drowned. And uh, the, the townsfolk came out and asked him to not, uh, or to leave, to not be there uh, because of what had happened. The man that was delivered from the devils, he said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And the Lord said, no, you can't go with me, but I want you to go back to Decapolis. Decapolis was a place of ten cities. And this man began to evangelize and tell what Jesus had done. Now we come to this scripture, and the people at Genesareth are completely changed in how they feel about him. And they coming out of the boat at once knowing him, they ran around all that neighborhood or all that area and began to carry about those having illness on cots to where they heard that he was. And wherever he went into cities or villages or fields in this place, they laid the ailing ones in the markets and begged him, if only they may touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched were healed. That's an amazing change that these people experienced when this little evangelist who used to be called Legion now began to proclaim the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord just help us here this morning. God, we pray over your word. Your word is so powerful. Lord, that we rightly divide, you instructed, rightly divide the word of truth. And, and I ask you that we would do that this morning, that it would be a blessing and encouragement, a strength to every hearer. That we would leave out of here, Lord, and our faith just lodged even more in you. We pray that you would touch it, Jesus. Amen. And amen. If we could only just get some small revelation of the Lord. I just want some, some little revelations of the Lord. And I find those from time to time. See, those that are hungry, those are the ones that will be fed. Those that are thirsting, those are the ones that will, will get drink. If you're hungry... 
thirsty after the Lord. Just, just some small revelation of Jesus. And I always go back to this. Paul said it at the end, towards the nearing the end of his life. He said, I've done all these things. I have counted everything that I have ever done as nothing. I've given up everything that I might know him. And I wonder really the process of, of churchanity and, and all that we've done. Has it really been focused on knowing the Lord? I believe the expectation of the follower of Yeshua, Amashiach, Jesus Christ, the expectation of the follower of Jesus Christ should not be something fleshly. What do I get out of this? Like Peter said, Lord, we've left all to follow you. What do we get? No, that's, that's all fleshly thinking. A lot of the stuff that's being propagated is about you come and get and God's going to give you everything you want and you deserve it and, and just made people to feel that somehow the focus of Christianity is not Jesus Christ, but the expectation of the follower of Jesus Christ must be that God would give you some revelation in your life. Let me tell you what will keep you going. Not another church service. Not another answer to prayer. Not another God, you've been good to me. But what will keep you going in your Christian life is just some small revelation of who the rabbi is. This is why people get bored in Christianity. They quit pursuing the revelation of Jesus Christ. You don't get to a level. I've been listening to some preaching, Kay, and I listened to some yesterday. and it was, it was good. But you don't get to a level that you go on cruise control in this thing. You never get to a place where you stop learning. But we are always, we are always under the master teacher, Jesus, and and His instruction and His provision, His revelation makes this walk in Him fresh and new. When God reveals a thing to us, there is this freshness that comes over us. There is this great confidence that comes over us once again that, that I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow Jesus. So never stop looking for that just small revelations in Jesus. I've heard the revival message all my life. I was raised with the revival message, and some of you may know what I'm talking about, but let me explain it a little bit. The revival message is that, that really there's going to be an outpouring. There's not one now, but there's going to be an end-time outpouring. There's going to be just this greatness coming down the road. It's not here yet. But someday, some glorious day, God is going to pour out great, marvelous revival. And the harvest of the multitudes will come rolling into churches. This, this idea of the last time harvest, last time revival, last end day outpouring and overcoming of, of everything that the devil's doing that God is just going to... But really, the Scripture doesn't teach it that way. Really, 
The Scripture does say there's going to be a falling away. The Scripture does say that there's going to be uh, those that wax cold in their love towards God. And, and I don't see a great end-time revival. I don't see a widening of the straight gate. And few there be that find it. But God, if we widen it out a little bit, then we can get more people in. And the Lord is not going to widen out the straight gate. It's going to be few that find it back 2,000 years ago, few that have found it through those 2,000 years, and few that find it today. This revival effort that's being preached, if it does anything more or anything less than increase our faith in our Rabbi Jesus, then it is an unprofitable revival. I've said this and I believe this, that we may pray for you and you may feel the Spirit of God and you may fall down onto the floor. That is, happens, it, it has happened in the Bible, that, that God may touch you and you, you may just fall out. But I'm going to tell you this, the falling out and the running around and the shouting and jumping, if it doesn't bring you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, then it is unprofitable in your life. I've said this, when you're down there, you better be getting something. Don't just get down there and roll around. I don't want to just be called a holy roller. I want to be called a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I'm down there, Lord, if I happen to be on the floor, I'm only there for just one purpose, and that is that the closeness of the Lord comes into my life. Can you say amen? And this outpouring revival is an outpouring of emotion. It's an outpouring of a lot of just rhetoric over and over and over doing the same thing over just to get hyped up so that so that I might feel I can make it through the week. I'm not going to make it through the week on emotion anyway. I get up tomorrow morning, I don't feel good. I look in a mirror and it doesn't look right to me. I don't see a Christian there. What I see is a man that's tired getting ready to go to work. I see the problems around us. Emotion is not going to take me through, but an experience in the Lord Jesus Christ to know Him more, to know Him fresher, to know Him in revelation is going to carry me through the week. Can you say amen? If the message defers us to another God person that's going to enhance our relationship in Jesus Christ, I stand opposed to it. I don't need another mediator. I've got one. Can you say amen? How many of you say this morning? You don't have to raise your hand. Just I've got one mediator, and I don't need another one. I don't need Mary. She's not going to help me. I don't need another entity called Holy Ghost. Watch, be careful, Pastor. Anything you say against Holy Ghost will not be forgiven you. I don't need another entity becoming a mediator for me. The church does not belong to an entity called Holy Ghost. The church belongs to the Holy Spirit of Christ Himself. It belongs to Him. The people belong to Him.
We don't worship another direction. We don't go another way. Whatever happened to I will build me my church. Whatever happened to I will never leave you or forsake you. Whatever happened to I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Whatever happened to when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. If we take this gospel in any other direction, we will lose the power of it. The power lays in the rabbi. Can you say amen to that? There's no other outsourcing. God doesn't outsource his gospel. He remains the source of all of it. And so when we preach, if we teach and we preach, we preach about Jesus. So, Pastor, can't we, can't we go on beyond him and get somewhere else? If you go on beyond him, you're going to fall off in an abyss somewhere, and I'm not going with you there. So the rabbi is here this morning. Anybody here see him here? Anybody have some kind of witness? Oh, yeah, I know. I saw him come in the door. He's here because he said he's here. I don't even care what you think. And beyond further than that, he doesn't care what you think about it. He said, when you gather in my name, my focus, in who I am, the character of me, there I am in the midst. So I believe Jesus is here this morning. Lord, I can't see you this morning. I have felt you, though, but I don't see you in your fleshly existence in this house this morning, Lord. But we know you're here, and we want to take that learning from you, Lord. And everyone said amen. Matthew, the 12th chapter, teacher, rabbi, they came to him, the Pharisees, one more time, um, testing him, teacher, rabbi. Uses the Greek word didaskos, which is the equivalent to the Hebrew rabbi. We would see a sign from you. I don't know where these people are at. He's been raising the dead. He's been feeding 5,000 with a few loaves of bread. He has been cleansing lepers. We would see a sign from you. Uh, they don't really want to see a sign. What this is, is really a challenge to who he is. If you claim to be the rabbi, you claim to be the Christ, then prove to us and show us a sign. And, and I like Jesus. His, his wisdom is so powerful. He says, an adulterous generation seeks a sign. Now, <laughs> these are the religious leaders. And basically what he's saying to them is, you guys are a bunch of adulterers. Now, that's not going to set well with them. It never does. But an adulterous generation seeks a sign. But I'm going to tell you what. I'm not giving you a sign. All they have to do is stand outside one of his meetings, and they're going to see some of the greatest things that's never, ever happened in the world before. 
All they got to do is just visit a single bee. All they have to do is believe one report of one person that comes into the temple. All they've got to do is believe the blind man that said, I was blind, but now, now I see. What happened to you? We saw you sitting daily at the temple, and now, now you're seeing what happened to you. I don't know, but this man who called himself Jesus, he said, he came along, and, and I was blind, but now all they have to do is believe one report. They don't want a sign. They, again, are challenging him. They're challenging him as godness. They're challenging him that he is the Messiah or not. And validate yourself. Prove yourself who you are. And I think the world and the church does that a lot today, trying to make him prove who he is. He's already set it in motion. He has already established it. He's already done enough that if you don't believe what he's already done, he doesn't need to do anything else to prove it to you. An adulterous generation looks for a sign, but I'm not giving you a sign except for the sign of Jonah three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's going to be a sign later. And do you think they'll believe that sign later? No, they don't believe it either. They, they know that he said he's only going to be three days. They went to Pilate and said, can you give us a charge? Can you give us army, people, centurion to come and watch that grave? Because he said that in three days. So they knew what the sign was. But when he arose in three days, they did not believe him. This is all about unbelief in Jesus Christ. And so... The Lord's going to give them the sign of Jonah. I went back to look at Jonah just a little bit, and Jonah must have been a great preacher. I'm trying my best this morning, and I know I'm boring some of you already. But I'm doing my best. Jonah. The Lord says, puts the word in Jonah's mouth and said, I want you to go to Nineveh. You've got to understand that Nineveh was their enemy. Nineveh was their captor. Nineveh ruled over them. And uh, God said to Jonah, go tell them I'm going to destroy them 40 days if they don't repent. And Jonah was like, good. I don't need to go down there and preach. Just destroy them. So he set off to Tarsus, right? Swallowed by the fish. He's three days and three nights in that mess. And then the fish spit him out. I believe the fish spit him out near Nineveh somewhere. And uh, here he comes into the city of Nineveh, one of the great capitals of the world. Can you imagine what this guy looks like and what he smells like? Have you ever seen something that's been partially digested? And I don't know, maybe he's got some seaweed on him. He, he stinks. Been in the belly of a fish. He gets one day journey into that place and begins to cry out the word of the Lord. I'll tell you something. There's some, some kind of anointing on this guy. Because there's lots of false prophets saying, I'm sure they had prophets just like, just like in Israel, false prophets, and they prophesy this and prophesy that. But Jonah is with such persuasion by the power of the Spirit of the Lord He's giving Nineveh a chance to repent. He said, those people don't even know they're left from the right. There's innocence in that town. They've never heard the gospel. They've never heard about repentance. So go preach to them. And one day in, he begins to preach. And it said that the whole city began to turn their hearts that the king said, 
we're going to, we are, no one's going to eat. We're, we're going to shed our clothes and sackcloth and ashes and repent before God from the wickedness of this place. And God saw that and he stayed off his judgment off of Nineveh. That's a great preacher. Uh, it's approximate there was 120,000 people in the town of Nineveh, not to mention the kingdom. And this king made a decree. This is what we're going to do. Jonah was a great preacher, anointed of God. And now in this conversation that they're having with Jesus about uh, show us a sign, I won't show you a sign, but the sign of Jonah, he turns to them and says this to them, Behold! And when the scripture says behold, it means to get your eyes open and fix on whatever the subject is. Behold, a greater than John the Baptist. That word greater there really means a superior to John the Baptist is here. I believe he's pointing at himself. I think he makes it clear to them that he's the greatest preacher to ever hit the face of the earth. Can you say amen? I'd love to hear just one sermon. He would melt your heart with the truth of the gospel. He spoke with authority like no other man spoke. Now listen to a guy that said his dad was the most godly man to ever hit the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty big, big brag. But Jonah was a great preacher. John the Baptist, no greater than John the Baptist, but Jesus is going to present himself as the greatest preacher of all time. Our rabbi is the greatest preacher ever. I've been to hear men. I've heard them on on programs, I've been in places where, where I've said those guys can preach. Man, they, they can bring the Word of God. But it would be nothing compared to the voice of our rabbi, Lord and Master Jesus, as he began to explain and he began to, to preach to them his gospel. And they, he preached to them for years now, and they would not repent and Jesus said, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up and judge this generation. Because the greater than Jonah is here, and you won't hear him. That's what they thought about the rabbi Jesus. And then next he says, directly after that, the queen of Sheba of Arabia, south of Judea, came to test Solomon with hard questions. And this is interesting. I don't know what kind of questions they were. Maybe questions about life. Maybe questions about ruling kingdoms. Who knows? But this queen comes to Solomon. And I love it because if you go back to the reference there in the book of Kings, it says, and he answered every one of them. Nothing stumped him. He had wisdom that came from God that was supernatural wisdom. His fame and his wisdom went throughout all the known world. And that's why she came to him with these questions. 
And after her session there and had spent some time there, now she's ready to leave. She says this, praise be to the Lord your God. He has set you up in a place to know wisdom and to know honor. And you have, you have revealed to me, in other words, all the answers to my questions. But I want you to know that there is one greater than Solomon, one more superior than Solomon. Behold, there is one more superior to Solomon right here. Now I'm going to tell you this. They come to stump him. They come to ask him hard questions time after time after time. During his whole ministry, they will continue to ask him questions, but they will never take his wisdom. They don't care about his wisdom. All they're trying to do is bring him down. All they're trying to do is belittle him in front of the people. They rejected his unprecedented wisdom, even greater than Solomon's wisdom. And we think of Solomon as being the most man, wise man ever on the face of the earth. No, our our rabbi is the most wise man ever on the face of the earth. Can you say amen? You have a question, you can't stump him. You have a problem, he's got an answer. You need wisdom. No wonder the scripture says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives it liberally and upbraids not, but he will give wisdom into your life. This is our rabbi. I'll read the book of Proverbs a little bit. You ever read the, the book of Proverbs, you understand that they're not all Solomon's Proverbs. I think Asaph is in there and a couple others. But some of the things he says, it just seems so wise. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm not living out of the book of Proverbs. I'm living out of the book of the rabbi. I'm living out of his gospel. Do I believe that Solomon had some insights some was absolutely but more superior than what Solomon could ever come up with. So I'm going to tell you this morning, what is more superior than the book of Proverbs is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is more superior than the book of Jonah is the gospel of Jesus Christ. His gospel, His word, His wisdom, His power, His understanding supersedes any man, anything that's ever been said on the face of this earth. He is the greatest. Can you say amen? Amen, amen, amen. And so, should we look for another? I think this question still lays in the church. John the Baptist started it. He posed this question, sent his disciples to the Lord because things were not going in his direction like he thought they would. No one likes being in prison. No one likes being their ministry shut down with the threat of death hanging over him every day, sends his disciples to the Lord to say, should we look for another? I've come to this dilemma. I've been talking to the brothers sometimes on the job, and sometimes Thursday night after we have like a round table, it's square. But we have this like round table, and we just kind of discuss what was talked about that night, and Everybody's welcome to come into that. Should we look for another? There's a lot of places that have looked for another, and they've found another. I'm a little worried. There's a lot of spirits out there 
John reaffirmed that. He said, there's lots of spirits out there. But there's only one Spirit of the Lord. Everybody say amen right there. That, that, that's that's a, a building block. If we think there are different variety of spirits of the Lord, then we're going to need to be instructed on how to do that. How to call on them and and what they're going to do in our life. When you open yourself to receive a spirit, um, have you ever noticed in the gospel that a lot of people were demon-possessed? Now, when I'm a kid, <laughs> and uh, in good intention, in good meaning, just about everybody that came to the altar was demon-possessed. And so we get out the oil, and and I've seen them jumping around, sprinkling oil, and and putting the Bible on people, and all that stuff. It's in good intentions. Putting the Bible on somebody. Yeah, I had somebody lay the Bible to the side of my head. She was a little bit retarded, but almost knocked me out. Um, laying a Bible on somebody. There's no power in that. There's no power in oil. But we, we thought just about everybody was demon-possessed. But in the foreign countries, what the Lord had to deal with was all the witchcraft. It was very, very much, I mean, it was parallel. It's why I call familiar spirits. They were spirits that looked like God's spirit, but they were not. They were a familiar spirit. Something that is familiar. And the witchcraft that was in intertwined into Judaism, it, a lot of things, and you, what you don't know, you just think Judaism, you know, they just followed the Bible. No, they didn't. They were mixed up with a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, many of them, even to this day, I understand, believe in reincarnation. Well, you get into reincarnation, that's some weird stuff. I'm not coming back here when I'm done. No. No, once was enough, right? But the Jews were innocent, and so they received like spirits. I'm worried about this a little bit. Because what I see in a lot of what is called Pentecostal movement is they have Receive something that does not glorify the rabbi. I'm sorry, if it does not glorify the rabbi, it is not of God. I don't care what you call it. doesn't matter if it mimics, sounds like, looks like. There's a true spirit of the Lord, but I want you to know the difference between the true and the false. The spirit that you will get from the Lord is the spirit that the rabbi will deliver to you. John said it. He will baptize. Everybody say baptize. Big thing. We've been talking about that. Are you going to go some more on that? Okay. I won't touch it too, too much then. He will baptize. Jesus is not going to baptize you in water. No, no. He will baptize you in Holy Spirit. He, everybody say he, 
not something else, not some other spirit. He will baptize you. And so I'm worried about this ghost that takes people away from the Lord and takes them out venturing other places. I'm, I'm worried about that. I don't think that's of God. I think that's a familiar spirit. Is everybody okay? Is anybody mad at me yet? And, and so I don't want another different entity. I want the one who in him dwells all the fullness of the godness bodily. See, that's the one I'm after. But just and in every generation, we have this. In every generation, the religious majority does not believe on him as being the one almighty God. Now, watch out now. And this is going to separate a whole bunch of church folks. Because I want there to be more persons besides Jesus. I like Jesus. You know, he died on the cross, and I like him. But I want to experience some more spirits, some more things. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to like it here. You're not going to like it here. Jesus Christ is to be lifted up in this place. We are servants of Jesus Christ. I believe He is God Almighty manifested in flesh. I believe the Logos of God became flesh and dwelt among us. I believe He is the expression of God physically in this earth. I'm not looking for a different spirit to tell me about Him. I want to hear it from His own mouth. I don't need somebody else to tell me about it. You can have a relationship with people. And this stuff that's going on on the Internet, I'm going to tell you what. You have Internet friends. They're not your friends. I can tell you that. All you got to do is just, just spell out one wrong thing. You'll find out. They're not your friends anymore. Friends are built on personal relationship. You can't tell me about somebody and I get to know them. You can't explain to me about who they are. And I might think that I know somebody, but unless I spend some time with them, unless I'm around them, unless I get to understand them and who they are and their personality and what they like and what they're about, I don't really know them. And I want to tell you this. You can't have somebody in the middle of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to hear it from Him. You've got to know Him. You can't go another direction, another spirit, another thing to tell you about the Lord. I don't want anybody interfering. I want to know his voice. I want to hear him. I want to know him personally. My own personal rabbi. Can you say amen to that? And so we're just going to keep preaching that. That's what we're going to do. We're going to believe it. But in every generation, the majority does not believe that Jesus is the Lord God. Don't believe it. Oh, he's Messiah. We'll even take him as far as being rabbi. He's a good shepherd. When you begin to talk about him as being Lord God Almighty, now we've got to shut down. No, no, he'll take us to God. No, you don't understand. When you get past him, you got past God. And so, but I was thinking this. Listen, listen. The majority says 
that he's really not God Almighty. But this precedes the pleasure of the Lord. And how, how does that happen? Is it pleasurable for, for God, for people not to believe in him? Well, I'll put it this way. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as did receive him. Now, there's the pleasure of the Lord. There's going to be masses that do not receive him. They're going to say his name. They're going to talk about him. They're going to open up his book and read it. But not believe that he is the Lord God Almighty. And to as many as do receive them, receive him. He gives them, but not the power. He gives them, not the authority. He gives them the privilege to become the sons and daughters of him. Because he alone becomes the father. Can you say amen? He alone becomes that one that we depend upon. He is our rabbi. We are his servant. He is our father. We are his children. And so the relationship only builds when we consider Him to be Lord God Almighty in our life. Amen. I'm about ready to call for a, a break, a recess, and everybody do jumping jacks. You know. <laughs> what they do in school, you know why they have recess? Get tired of listening to the teacher. <laughs> right. Everybody okay? Say amen. Yeah, we're we got a few minutes left, but I get a few more things to go, okay? All right, got a couple of things. There always has been a remnant. And so the mass, the mass has an opinion. The mass says mega church, the mega church is everywhere now. When I was a kid, you know what a mega church was? Hundred people. I I am not kidding you. You had over a hundred people, you were like, I mean, you had other pastors bowing you. Giving you obeisance. I mean, it was just crazy to have more than 100 people. There are mega churches everywhere. I thought we were escaping the mega church. We jumped out of the, the frying pan into the fire. They're everywhere around here. But there's always been a remnant. So, when people are influenced by the mega and masses, the remnant just keeps on believing and receiving. I don't care what they're doing. It doesn't matter to me. People that preach a gospel that is void of the revelation of Christ, it just doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't care what they're doing. I'm still believing and I'm still receiving because He always has at His hand revelation for those who are hungry. And so it doesn't matter what the mass does. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we get down to five people or ten. That, that really isn't the point. The point is that the remnant keeps on believing and receiving. They keep believing that the Lord has fresh new revelation of himself. They keep believing that. They they just want to pursue getting closer to the rabbi and to know more of his personal glory. That's who they are because they are a remnant that really doesn't care about setting right and being religiously right in this world. I don't care anything about religious right. What I care about is the revelation of Jesus Christ, my rabbi, into my life. 
until he influences me to the place that I become like he is. That I become as in his stature. And that's what we're looking for. Can you say amen? So the scoffers of the day, they could care less about the self-proclaimed Rabbi Jesus, Rabbi Yeshua. They didn't care anything about him. But that didn't stop the believers. That didn't stop those that wanted him to be their personal rabbi. And while their loved ones were sick and dying and without hope, without help, without salvation, those that received him to them, he gave the privilege. Can you say amen? And that's why they begged him. They laid their people down in the marketplace. They laid them in the fields. They laid them on the roadway and they begged him that they might touch the tassels of his robe. And as many touched him were made perfectly well and whole. And listen to me, it wasn't anything to do with the tassels, but they were reaching out to the rabbi and the tassels were there and the tassels represented the word of God and the tassels represented the glory of God and on their garment knee length robe God said put a tassel on there and I can see Jesus now walking down the road and they're laying they're hurting they're dying they're crippled they're maimed they're blind they're wounded and they don't know what to do other than reach up somehow and touch Jesus to remember the woman was 12 years with an issue of blood and the only thing that could go through her head is if I can just touch the hymn or the tassels of that garment I will be made whole there's no power in the garment there's a power in the person that was wearing the garment there's no power in relics there's no power in going to Jerusalem where Jesus was there's no power in trying to buy a sliver off of the cross which is ridiculous anyway but there is power in the man who hung on the cross there is power in the man who wore the robe can you say amen Roman soldiers they gambled over his tunic and that was the inner garment underwear if you will And they gambled for that was as close to his body as you could get. And when they got that tunic, the one that gambled and won it, that threw the right lots, when he took that home that night, that did not heal his people. That did not minister to them. It's the man that they left on the cross that did the ministry. And can you say amen? So it wasn't the tassels. It wasn't the idea that God said put something on the end of your garments so that they'll know, you'll know the word of God that you won't follow after your own lust. But it was a man inside the garment. It was the rabbi Jesus. Hey, you can have all the stuff. You can have all the icons and and all the pieces and parts and things that are going on out there and they will not touch you. The only thing that will touch your life is when you touch Jesus. Beautiful, powerful. I got to get done here. I'm I'm boring some people to death here. I want to show you a real picture of revival. I've talked about revival a few minutes ago. I want to show you a real picture. Matthew 15, 29. And I never really saw this, how this is worded. Jesus sat down on the mountain beside the Sea of Galilee. Now, at the Genesaret, he was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now he is on this side. He's sitting down. And he begins to teach and preach. And, and now it said, and great crowds came to him. 
and having with them those lame, blind, dumb, couldn't speak, maimed, and many others. I had to read this again, and I had to go to the definition originally about this word. It said, my, my uh, translation, J.P. Green said, and they flung them down at the feet of Jesus. The King James was very nice. He said, and they placed them, I think. Oh, he did say they cast them down. The original scripture said they just got him there and flung him down to feet of Jesus. When you take your loved one who is crippled, blind, maimed, wounded, sick, dying, and you carry them out from town, maybe a few miles to this mountain where Rabbi Jesus is teaching, you've got some full confidence when you will take those loved ones and just throw them down at Jesus' feet. It's in us to want to nurture those that are hurting right, you know. Now, now sit right here, okay. Uh, you know, are you comfortable? The Scripture here really isn't. It, and, and what it's inferring is they got them to Jesus, and they threw them down there and left them there. I'm going to say this about us. When will the church begin to realize it's not our job to save people? It's not our job to heal people. It's not our job to reform people. Let me tell you what our job is. To get them to Jesus. So if we're preaching about other entities and other things, and, you know, church, it's good to be good, nice to be nice, and, and you need to do all these things that are good Christian things. There's only one thing that's going to matter in a person's life. We said this the other day. You've got to win them to you before you win them to Jesus. That's baloney. I'm going to get them somehow. I don't know. We have to put our arm around them and help them. They've got a cane or a crutch, and, and we're carrying them. And the blind, we've got to lead them. The blind, they don't know how to get to Jesus. Help them get over there. But when we get them to the meeting, we didn't get them there to eat loaves and fishes. We didn't get them there so they could have an emotional experience. We didn't get them there so they could hear music, which is about 90% of what we're calling Christianity right now. That's the draw of the mega, mega church, mega thing is the music. There wasn't a single person playing anything, but when they got them there, they threw them down at Jesus' feet. They flung them there. They cast them there. They said, Lord, here they are. And it said that Jesus began to heal them, every single one. I want you to know that his power is still the same today. He's the same rabbi as he was sitting on the side of that mountain. He's the same rabbi walking through as they're trying to touch him. He's the same healer. He's the same savior. He's the same deliverer. He did not hand it off. 
to another entity. It's Him. And so we bring all to Jesus. We cast them down at His feet. And I'm going to tell you what. He knows how to fix people. Come on. Let's praise the Lord right there. I'm done. I mean, not preaching. Yeah, I, I, I just, I really am, but I'm done trying to fix people. My fix for them is that I'm going to get them to the feet of Jesus. If I can get them there, I take off the responsibility then. I'm not going to have to lead them home because if they were blind and they get to Jesus' feet, they'll know how to get there. If they couldn't walk and they were broken and, maimed, and when they get to Jesus' feet, I'm not going to have to carry them back home. So that's all my job. Can the church say amen? All our job, just get them to Jesus. Amen. Amen. I, I, I just want to close with this. The Canaanite woman that came to Jesus in utter desperation, my demon, or my demon, my daughter has a demon, and my demon has a daughter. Got that tongue-tied there. My daughter has a demon. She's demon-possessed. She came to the right place. There was nothing she could do about it. I'm sure she probably took her counselors and people to try and help her. But in desperation, she's got no other answer. So when she finally did get a chance to be in the company of Rabbi Jesus, she begins to cry out, My daughter has a demon. My daughter. I need her delivered. Jesus didn't say a word, not a word. And she cried out the more, and we're following, and the disciples started, Lord, can you tell her to stop? And he did say something. I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This woman's not ready to give up yet. Her daughter has a problem. And she knows that Jesus is the only one that can fix it. And so she still continues to cry out. Ultimately, the Lord says, you know, it's not right to take the, the, the food and give it to the dogs. Man, what a racial statement that is. Wow. And she's still not offended. I'm telling you, 99.9999% of everybody would be offended at that today. Using Jesus or using racial stuff. No, he just... He's just seeing how, how uh, hungry she is. Lord, even you know the dogs will get the little crumbs out from under the table. And she said something that stirs my heart this morning. She just finally, the only thing she could think of is, Lord, help me. And at that cry, The Lord has seen that not only is she desperate, not only is she just doesn't know what to do, but now she has placed her faith in Jesus. He turns to the woman that touched his issue of, issue of blood and said, your faith has made you whole. Her faith didn't make her whole. Her faith in him made her whole. It wasn't just faith in faith. It was faith in him. This woman cries out, Lord, 
She doesn't know what else to do. Just, Lord, just help me. And then the Lord turns and says to her, as you believe, it's going to happen to you. I want to quote this according to the Scripture. But she coming worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. I'm going to give you a new definition of worship. Now, I know you all think it's about singing and playing guitars and and uh, pianos and drums and, and singing. and yeah, That's what worship is. No, no, no. That's not what worship is. That's what our efforts are. Real worship is when you have negated everything else in your life and you have turned all that you are and have to Him. See, that's real worship. Not singing a song. Not hearing a hearing uh, the, the, the big crowd and music that's just driving people in. That's not worship. It's simple faith in Jesus Christ. Forgetting the surroundings and trappings. Forgetting that you're in a rented building here and not a church uptown that, you know, has got, boy, they've got some really nice looking buildings around here. And, and forgetting all that. Forgetting the tempo of the music and the driving force of this music. I'm going to worship Him through music and forgetting the man-made protocols and procedures that people won't let you get to Him. But I want to tell you something this morning that it's like the woman at the well. It's like the ruler Jairus at the synagogue. It's the blind man Bartimaeus. It's the ten lepers. It's this Greek woman it's the criminal that's hanging next to Jesus on the cross that in desperation and in all honesty, just forsaking everything else, look to him and say, Lord, help me. And this glorious, wonderful rabbi reaches down and touches their life. If we in all honesty this morning can just say, God, just, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of all the stuff. You know, we come to church and we just, sometimes we sing, sometimes we don't. Sometimes, I don't feel like worshiping this morning. Your worship isn't about that. Your worship is about surrendering everything you are to the wisdom, to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Him being our rabbi. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me? God bless you. I think I preached a little. I didn't go over 12, but I was, I know I was lengthy this morning, but I don't know. I'm enthused about it. I only preach one time a week. And uh, if I was teaching a uh, college class, I guess, let's just do that same song that we, that we ended with there. But if I was teaching a college class, you'd be in here an hour. So I tried for one hour this morning to build up the rabbi in our eyes because I'm trying to get you to him. I'm not trying to... We didn't move across the states to try and get you anywhere but to him. We're not trying to find a building so that we can identify ourselves with a building. We're trying to get you to Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I worship.